Hello and welcome to Automators. My name is Rosemary Orchard and as always I'm joined by my fellow co-host David Sparks and we are going to talk about making your house do all of the work for you today. Hey David, how are you? Rose, I am very excited about today's episode. We have been teasing your home automation now for several episodes. Mm -hmm. You got your own place. You keep sending me pictures of all this home automation stuff you're gonna, you've been buying. Today's the day we find out exactly what you're up to. Well, I mean, it's not just the day that we find out what I've been up to, because you've got a couple of little updates that you mentioned you've been working on. And if we've got time, we'll work those in. Uh, but we also have new gadgets uh, because, you know, it's new iPhone season. So we got new iPhones and I believe we are iPhone twins. Yeah, I thought as automators, it'd be fun just to check in on that real quick. Um, we both bought the big boy, the uh, iPhone 12 Pro Max. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think of yours? It's Pacific Blue. And it's, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. It's great. I love the different color. I love how fast the NFC reactions are. That's working really well for me, which is great for all sorts of automation things. And I'm loving having that big phone again. Uh, it lets me see more shortcut sections on the screen at once, which sounds like a very bad reason to buy a bigger phone. But let's be honest, I'm not going anywhere anyway. And I don't have pockets that any iPhone will fit into, even the mini. So I figured go big and uh, be happy with it. How about you? It fits in my pocket, but it really couldn't get any bigger. I mean, it's just, I think I'm at max phone size now. If oh, yeah. If they said yeah. it was bigger, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. But but you're right. Uh, the Shortcuts app is beautiful on that big screen. It's great to uh, to build automations with a little bit more available screen real estate. It doesn't feel like making them on the iPad, but it, it feels better than making them on a small iPhone. And uh, I've already made several shortcuts with it. And, um, you know, in addition, I just love the way the design is. I've always been a fan of the iPhone 4 as my favorite iPhone. Yeah. And I got the stainless one with the white back. And this really feels like the iPhone 4 to me. I mean, even more than the iPhone 5 did, you know, the uh, with the stainless steel bands on the edges. It's it's a it's a nice phone. It is. It's a really nice phone. I am also liking those flat edges. I found that the 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 11 Pro was a little bit slippery at times, as was the 10s Max. 10s Max, we can attest to the occasional slipperiness of it because mine has a shattered back, unfortunately. And uh, as people know, if you don't have Apple Care, that is a very pricey fix, which is why that phone is my dummy phone for recording various things on and testing things out with a separate user account, uh, rather than being given to my mom because uh, neither of us fancied footing that particular repair bill, and uh, she didn't want to carry around a broken-backed iPhone. Sure. Well, it is, um, it's a nice phone. And uh, I think for automation, you, you had made an observation that the NFC is faster. Just a tad, but it de definitely feels like it, it's, so I have one uh, a particular NFC tag in my car. Um, and the first thing it does is it opens the shortcuts app and then it goes into data jar and then it should go back to shortcuts. Um, sometimes I need to tap the notification I have up here at the top. Sometimes it just goes back. Doesn't really matter, but either way, it's definitely launching shortcuts and diving into data jar much faster. Yeah. Um. So it it's it's working. Uh, I'm very pleased with that. I also like that now that they have the MagSafe connector. Um. You know, the trigger when starting a charge can be much easier to trigger now. You don't have to plug in a cable. You can just snap it onto mm -hmm. an NFC yeah. charger. I'm sorry, not NFC. A um, a Qi charger, but but the MagSafe one in particular and. Yes. I did get one of those, and man, I really like it. I like the way it just satisfyingly snaps on the back. 
I'm still waiting for mine to arrive. I did order a magnetic uh, car mount, uh, and it does seem to like magnetize pretty well just straight to the back of my iPhone, even though it's not technically MagSafe because the Belkin MagSafe charger does not charge your phone. Uh, what I'm using, my my really lovely large screen phone is a SatNav, which I do because my car is... Uh, well, it's 10 years old, so CarPlay didn't exist back then. Um, and I decided against paying for an upgrade that's worth at least 10% of the value of the car. Um, then, you know, it, I, I want to charge it and I don't want to be fumbling cables. So I, I saw on, I think it was Reddit, somebody stuck uh, the the disc that came with their magnetic mount to the back of their MagSafe charger. I am going to try that for science. Uh, and uh, I have Apple Care, so... <laughs> Just in case something like goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Put a towel underneath it. Uh, who knows? But the. Uh, yeah, 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 definitely. It, it is very. Uh, uh, this whole MagSafe world is cool. We talked about this on Mac Power Users, but I, I kind of hate the name because I loved MagSafe so much on my Mac. It just breaks my heart every time we say MagSafe and it's not on my Mac. But the, um, but I do think that because it's an open standard, in essence, anybody can make a set of magnets into their their uh, hardware without having to get Apple's permission. I think we may see some really cool implementations over time. Yes, definitely. I'm really looking forward to it. And we're already seeing a lot of people like 3D printing stands for the MagSafe charger and stuff. And I am looking forward to seeing what automations people come up with because I found with the flat Qi chargers that uh, my phone could vibrate off of them, which then meant that, uh, you know, sometimes it would be flat in the morning. And more importantly, it would run my disconnected from uh, power automation at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, so uh, I switched to standing Qi chargers in most places. I have one in my office, two in my bedroom, one on each side of the bed just so i can put my phone whichever side uh and one in my living room but uh i i'm still gonna be trialing MagSafe for travel whenever that becomes a thing again um and my car because you know it seems like a great idea well well MagSafe i think does have automation implementation and i just think we're not totally sure what all that is yet but yeah just be advised dear listener that rose and i are both thinking and looking into this Oh, yes, 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 we are, because we love nerding out on all of this wizardry. And, and speaking of which, um, with, there's currently a beta out for iOS 14.3 that adds a bunch of features to shortcuts, and we're going to cover those at the end of today's show. Um, but there's just a lot of good stuff coming for mobile automation right now. Yes, definitely. And, you know, it's always great to see, you know, what updates are in the pipeline and uh, also what surprises Apple love to spring on us. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of those, too. All right. Um, but let's switch over to, you know, your home automation. Uh, you uh, bought your own place recently. Yep. And you have been busy getting, you know, painting and carpeting and whatnot. But but you also had kind of a fresh canvas for home automation. And I think before we get into the nitty gritty of, of what you've installed and are using, I mean, how does someone like Rose uh, figure out a plan to begin with? Well, um, so th this whole planning thing, I've heard great things about it. Uh, planning is wonderful. Everybody should plan things. I did not 
plan okay. this at okay. all. Uh, so that that's not entirely true. I knew I had a starting point. So I had some things that I had used in Austria. So I had some Hue light bulbs and, and lamps. Uh, so, you know, I had a Go, an Iris, a light strip, and then a whole bunch of bulbs, mostly white ones, uh, but one color one as well. I had a Logitech Harmony. Um, and I also knew that my heaters here in my new place, uh, I don't have gas, uh, I just have electric, but I have very efficient uh, ceramic heaters, which store heat for a really long time, which is great, and I love it, and they plug into the wall. And so I knew that I was getting smart outlets for those, because two of them have got thermostats, and two of them do not. They, they You just toggle them on and off, and there's a dial. Um, and so I decided that for the two that don't have thermostats, I was going to do a smart home thermostat thing, and for all of them, I wanted to be able to turn them off when I left the house if nobody was here so that I wouldn't be paying to heat the place if I'm not here because that would be very energy inefficient. And, you know, I like our world. Let's keep it. And then the other thing you had is the British voltage, which is higher than U.S. voltage. And uh, yes. as a result, you were mentioning on the show that 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 puts some limitations on your ability to, like, open up switches and plugs in the wall and start making, like, replacing plugs themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. So specifically kitchens and bathrooms here in the UK, uh, you need to be a qualified electrician if you're going to go and mess with the electrics. Um, I mean, technically anybody can open it up and do something. But then, you know, if you set your house on fire or electrocute yourself, the insurance company will not pay out if it was not a qualified electrician doing the job. Um, So as always, you need to be careful. Um, And I did have a qualified electrician come in and do some things, uh, but it was a case of replacing the ancient fluorescent tube in the kitchen with uh, a, you know, nice LED tube and the the actual light switch itself was not touched as a part of this and I did ask about you know replacing it with a a, a smart one because uh, I looked into Lightwave uh, but um, the look the electrician gave me was there's a global pandemic I have eight thousand and one jobs and you want me to replace your light switch uh, that's going to cost you a lot of money and I thought you know what I I can live with this and uh, so I explored other options there. Um, but you know, it, it, it worked out pretty well because everywhere else, you know, if, if you know what you're doing, um, and when I say, if you know what you're doing, I mean, not just you've looked it up on YouTube, but you actually genuinely know what you're doing. You could do things and my electrics were actually in great shape. So I, I just, uh, you know, replace light bulbs and things like that, which was great. Yeah. My grandfather was an electrician, so I kind of grew up learning from him enough at least to do basic stuff like this, but I don't have the the issues you do the the advantage of this though for our listeners is that people who are listening who have apartments have the same problem Mm -hmm. you can't just open up the wall in your apartment and start changing switches um so the way you solve these problems was more external which is exactly what people with apartments may want to do so i I feel like this is actually good for the show even if it's not ideal for you well, I mean, there there are a whole bunch of things that I would have loved to have done. I would have really liked to have got uh, Lightwave. That seems to be like the smart switches, which are HomeKit compatible, available in the UK and most of Europe. But the hub for that is £125, and each individual switch is £55, compared to to the cost of even a Philips Hue light bulb. And when you look at the starter pack, you get the bridge for free. It it kind of didn't seem worth it, especially because then I would still be limited to white lights and on or off um, and maybe dimming. And I already had Philips Hue bulbs. I'd already invested in them. So I decided to save myself a little bit of money and bought some light switch covers from Amazon. 
which I'll link in the show notes. And they just fit over a standard UK switch. So you unscrew the light switch. Please make sure electricity is off before doing this. And when I say off, I mean at the consumer unit. If you don't know what that means, please don't mess with it. Um, and then you can you can unscrew it. You can put the cover over it. And then like the, the there's just a plate that clips onto that, which the Philips Hue 4 button switch magnetizes into. And that means that I can pull that off the wall. It's guest friendly, which, you know, if guests are ever a thing ever again, then that'll be useful. Uh, but also I can just unclip the front box and I still have access to the physical switch behind it. But it's not something that somebody could accidentally toggle without intending to. Yeah. So I and I have, as we talked about on MPU, gone with the Lutron Cassetta route. And I used kind of a different math to get myself there. You know, it's funny how we all do this stuff, right? But the... um. Mm-hmm. I was looking, there were four areas in my house where there was a single switch controlling four ceiling lights. And so to buy 12 um, Hue lights that would fit into all those sockets, it was going to be like, you know, $500. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're expensive to get those flood li- those Hue floodlights. And I was still having the problem of my family just turning the switch off and killing the automation, you know, so where Lutron Cassetta was actually cheaper because I didn't have to replace the bulbs. All I did was replace the switch. And you did have to buy that base unit, though. So, I mean, there's really no, like, single answer for this stuff. But I think that's what you've got to go through in your head is, you know, what exactly are you trying to pull off? And then kind of figure out, you know, how it's going to work best for you. With, With me having other people in the house, the replacing the switches was by far the superior answer. But... If I was alone, I could see myself going the hue route because I do like the idea of having multicolored lights and being able to play with them that way. Yes. Yeah. And in my case, because I've covered the light switches, that means that, you know, anybody else, they just look at it. And I mean, I, my dad had to come in and do some do some work for me the other day. Uh, I need a new floor in my kitchen, among other things, which is still on the to do list. Um, and uh, he he sort of looked at it and he was like, how do I turn on the light switch? And I was like, press the button you think turns on the lights. And so he pressed the top button and voila, it turned on the lights. Uh, so, you know, he was a little confused by the fact there were four buttons, but I, I tested him and uh, my dad figured out that you press the top button and turn on the lights and you press the button button and turn off the lights just like you would on a normal light switch. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's normal person proof, uh, I would say, which is always a good test um, because my dad, you know, he he's recently bought smart blinds from Ikea. I started a little trend in my family, um, but, you know, he's he's very much a still press the button kind of guy. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Sync Up, a OneDrive podcast that takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive. If you're listening to this episode, you already understand the joy of finding a new podcast. With podcasts, you can learn about the world and the way you think about it. It can give you ideas to make your work more efficient. And Microsoft has got just that for you with their OneDrive podcast. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, SyncUp takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive. So you can learn about how to connect files, share your documents, and work from anywhere. And you'll get to hear about design and development side of things, too. Each show covers a dedicated topic has guest interviews, news and announcements, plus a special topic outside the technology norm. So many people are automating with OneDrive. This show will help you out. And just so you have an idea what to expect, I want to tell you about some topics that you may be interested in that were in previous episodes. They've talked about empowering Mac users, changing management and product adoption, customer success, file sharing, 
personal vaults, and more. In a recent episode, they went deep on education and OneDrive with an education specialist who supports universities and school districts across the Mid-Atlantic. There are a lot of elements to storage, including identity, security, collaboration, and automation, which we all love. And Microsoft has covered all of those things with OneDrive. And in this episode, they go deep on how you can use these OneDrive tools to have safe and secure online storage. To go and listen to it now, just search for SyncUp, S-Y-N-C-U-P, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, that's SyncUp, S-Y-N-C-U-P, or just click the link in the show notes to go check it out. Our thanks to SyncUp and Microsoft for their support of the automators and all of RelayFM. All right, so you've got all these Hue lights installed. You've got a safe switch, you know, that allows Mm -hmm. your family and friends to use it. Yep. What are you doing to automate your lighting? Uh, I have gone with the very uh, simple um, system of motion sensors. Um, And I've also got some door sensors as well. Uh, So, for example, my hallway has the official front door and it does not have any windows. It's got doors to every other room in the house, but it's smack bang in the middle. Um, So whenever the front door is open, it turns on the overhead light. And that is done through an Aquara uh, door sensor. Aquara is A-Q-A-R-A. I believe they're a Chinese brand. They produce products for companies like Xiaomi um, and others. And they also relatively recently launched their own system, which in many cases is very affordable. Uh, it's compatible with the Xiaomi products. So if those are cheaper, uh, as we'll get to with my motion sensor, then um, then you can just pair those as well. And um, it it works great. And the the actual sensors are pretty tiny, which is great. So I've got a whole bunch of door and window sensors that we'll get to. So when that door opens or in most rooms, if it detects motion and it's dark, because if it's just detecting motion, well, you could limit it to, say, between sunset and sunrise um, to turn on the lights. But especially if you use the Philips Hue motion sensor, which I already had one off because I had Philips Hue things in Austria. Um, and I just bought a couple more because I know that they have temperature sensors built in, which is nice to know how warm a room is, but they also have Lux sensors and Lux tells you the light level of the room. And so ideally you don't want to put this bright, right next to a light, especially if it is a dumb light that somebody will turn on and off automatically, like, manually um but you know i've got this on my desk uh it's kind of pointing like diagonally towards the door ish so i will be there when i come in uh and uh, it will i'll cross the path and it it just pings on the lights for me if it's dark now playing with the lux levels you're gonna have to mess around but this also means on gray overcast days of which sadly there have been many recently my lights just turn on Um, And this happens in the bedroom, this happens in the living room and in my office. Um, And in the hallway, it just sees motion and turns on the light because I decided not to uh, invest in another Hue sensor there. So I'm using uh, a Xiaomi sensor paired to my Aquara Hub. All right. There's a lot to unpack there, Rose. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. Let's start with the switches. Now, are the switches HomeKit switches or are they just um, non-HomeKit switches on your doors? Which switches? Oh, no, they're, they're those. So all the Aquara things integrate into HomeKit through the hub. So okay. you, Aquara needs a hub, uh, just like Philips Hue has the bridge, and that pairs into HomeKit. And then okay. once that's in HomeKit, it reveals all of the the different things attached to it. Uh, at least I believe it reveals all the things. I've certainly not had a problem with any of the items that I've paired with it so far. Yeah, and these HomeKit switches are a great investment. I have them as well. There are three doors in my house. Each one has a switch on it. 
there's a bunch of things you can do with it, like like Rose has done when and, and they just stick on the door. So this is something you could definitely do in an apartment. Um, and you know, it's got two pieces, one piece that goes on the door and one piece that goes on the jam. And when they're separated, it it triggers, you know, a switch. And I I, I think it's a magnet inside there. I'm not sure exactly yeah, what the technology is. It is. I, I'll get into that later, but I've been playing with exactly how these work. <laughs> okay. But the as a HomeKit user, um, that gives you some data. Uh, you know, every time the door opens, you may want something to happen. Like for me, on our front door, if it's dark out and that tri- switch front door trigger switches, it turns on both the the front porch light and also the the light right inside the door. So you get light on both sides of the door anytime at night that the door is opened. And then they turn off automatically after five minutes, you know, because you can do all this with HomeKit. And that, that's a very easy automation that anybody can do right in the HomeKit app. You don't need to add any extra tools. You know, you just set what it does and then you set a trigger. The other one I've been doing is the back door of my house. Sometimes the kids don't close it all the way because of the way the door works. You have to like kind of be firm to make sure it closes. And so I have a trigger that if it's if that switch is left open for I think it's five minutes, I get a text notification. And it's the same thing. And so I, I think this idea of switches on your doors, it's number one, not very expensive. You can do it anywhere, including an apartment. And it's a great trigger for other automation. Yes. Yeah, it definitely is. So I also have these on my windows. Now, this is not for as a security thing. Um, I actually am not really worried about security here. I do have a couple of cameras, but we'll get to those later in the show. Um, but I have them on my windows. And this is purely so that when I go to bed, I can run a shortcut. It'll tell me which windows are open, which means that if I want to go around and close windows before I go to bed, I I can because I know which ones are open, so I don't have to go and manually check each one. But also, when I open the window, it turns off the heater in that room. Uh, And similarly, in my living room, I've got some nice garden doors. Uh, When that door is opened, it turns off the heater uh, in that room so that I'm not heating a room and also letting the heat straight outside. Um, And the heaters are just plugged into smart outlets. And we can dive into the IKEA side of things in a little bit, but I just bought the smart outlets from IKEA because they were very, very cheap and they work pretty well. Um, But I've got that set up, which is great. And also it means that when I close a window or close a door, then I can have the heater come back on. But what I did uh, as well is if I turn the heater on, I run an automation. And this is one I converted to a shortcut. And what it does inside the shortcut, it checks if the window is open. And if the window is open, then it does get contents of URL and it sends me a push cut notification to say, hey, your window's open. I'm not turning your heater on. And otherwise it turns the heater on. Now I could just say, um, you know, like turn it off. You know, that that's doable. Um, and if you use something like the Home Plus app or the Eve app, then you can add extra conditions um, into shortcuts so that it will do different things, you know, based on the time of day or other things on top of whatever it is that's triggering your automation. Um, but uh, in this particular case, I wanted it to kind of tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, if you're cold, close the window rather than turning on the heater. Um, and so I, I've set that up, which works really nicely, I have to say. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, because for Southern California, the problem is in the heat, it's usually uh, cool. You know, you want to put the air conditioner mm-hmm. on. 
And it's the same thing. We open the windows all the time. I have not put sensors on my windows, but I'm just thinking in the back of my head what, because I do have a thermostat that's connected to HomeKit. I wonder if there's a way for me to set that up to run a test to say, well, you've got windows open in the bedroom and in the kitchen, you know, and then you could give yourself a notification to go close them before the air starts. I'm going to have to look into that. I don't, I don't really have the answer to it yet. The, the concern I'd have is um, you can't really do multiple ifs. I guess you could do it through a shortcut. That's, I'm just kind of figuring it out in my head as I sit here and talk. Yeah, if you want multiple ifs for something, then the home app itself is quite limited. So there are some things that it can do in an automation. So say, for example, when I arrive at home and it's, um, you know, between sunset and sunrise, um, then um, then then it will turn on uh, the lights in my living room so that I can see. Um, but it can't do when I arrive home and the vacuum cleaner uh, is on then do this. Uh, it's, it's not very good at checking things like that. But if you use, I personally like the Home Plus app by, I believe his name is Matthias Hochgatterer uh, from Germany. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's got a couple of great apps and the Home Plus app is a very solid one. It's a currently a one-time purchase. Uh, I believe he's building a new version, um, but it's a great app. The alternative is the Eve Energy app. And this is by Elgato who make things like the wonderful Stream Deck and they also make smart plugs and things like that um but you don't have to be using their smart home things to use their app um though i am using two of their plugs for different things than my heaters yeah you you can go a step further and i feel like HomeKit, the as baked in actually has gone further down the road than i kind of expected from apple yes uh, yeah definitely but, but you're right once you start getting to saying well if he turns the air conditioning on and if you know any of these windows are open then send a notification that says this that or the other then you're beyond the scope of what HomeKit can do yeah it can be a little tricky but uh you know there are a lot of things that are possible especially with the convert to shortcut action um though yeah. i know some people have had a few issues with the reliability on that Personally, I have found all of my notifications uh, during the beta are triggering exactly when they're supposed to, which is great. Um, but I could understand that potentially other people are having problems. Yeah, and I want to give a plus one to the Home Plus app because it's a great app, and that's the one I use too. Yeah, it's a great one. All right, so we talked about the switches. Then you talked about the motion sensors, and you know you've got different types of motion sensors. This is the motion sensors are where a house with multiple people becomes a problem. Um, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. some people don't want lights to turn on when they walk in a room and they get mad <laughs> because yeah. they don't really understand yeah. what's going on. So so I I have limited use for motion sensors because of that. But I can totally see how if I lived alone, I would be going all in. Like I would have one in the bathroom. So at night you wake up, you walk into the bathroom, the lights turn on. Yeah. Yeah, that that sort of thing is great. Um, and uh, I'm currently toying with the idea of getting a very small motion sensor to put under my bed because uh, I have the light strip from Philips uh, from the Hue range. Um, and it's currently in my office and it's very pretty and very nice and it looks great, but I don't really need it in here lighting wise. So I'm kind of thinking that I'm just going to fix this under my bed at sort of like the foot of my bed and then have a very small motion sensor that if it senses motion during the night, it'll just turn that on. Um, and I won't use the regular motion sensor because I can trigger that by moving in bed and I don't want all of my lights to turn on yeah. um, necessarily. But if I use a specific one that just looks for motion under the bed, 
Um, and it turns out the Xiaomi motion sensor, again, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, it's tiny. I got one today. It's like the size of my thumb, uh, like the t- size of like from the knuckle to my, the end of my nail. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't have particularly big hands, but it is a very small motion sensor. Um, and so that that's great. It's currently I've got one perched um, on the uh, curtain rail in my hallway because I have a curtain in front of my front door to block out light um, from outside and block my light into going outside. Now, do you do you get out of bed on the same side all the time? No, not necessarily. But these motion sensors are so tiny and also so cheap that I would totally be willing to invest in two of them. Sure. Um, so it's like I could point it to where your feet land, and you probably yeah, get exactly. Exactly. Um, And uh, I've got some cabinets next to my bed that I could actually just kind of mount them to, like sort of facing forwards, um, which would like on the side, very close to the ground, which could work quite nicely. So uh, I'll have a think about it and and get back to people in a future episode if I do that. Um, But I'm toying with that idea. But I'm finding motion sensors work fairly well, uh, though I have had to uh, branch out in a few cases. So I have vibration sensors. Um, and, uh, I tweeted a while ago about trying this with my tumble dryer and my washer. Um, and I did have them on my tumble dryer and my washer for a long time. But the problem is, is HomeKit doesn't run an automation when motion ends. So what you can do is you can trigger an automation when motion starts, uh, which a vibration sensor comes through as motion, which is quite logical. Yeah. Um, but when it ends, you can't have it do something. Which is a shame. So the the most that you can do is sort of try and turn it off, but it depends on then what kind of motion sensor you have, if it's constantly updating and looking for motion, or if it's only looking for motion after it's found motion and then waited for the motion to end. Um, and things got quite hacky. I was running shortcuts like back to back looping them. Yeah, I was to just check gonna, if there I was, was going to suggest like motion. a timer. So as soon as it yeah. triggers, you start a timer. Yeah, so in the end, I switched my washer and my dryer. I've got Eve smart plugs now. I'm still working on that. I don't have a solution to check whether or not my washer or my dryer are finished, but at least I know how much energy they're using. Um, And uh, I should probably be more economical with how often I use a tumble dryer, it seems. Um, But um, so what I've got is I then had these two vibration sensors, which I didn't need, except I realized that they're a motion sensor. Um, And... Every so often, like when I'm sitting here in my office, my motion sensor will occasionally think, oh, hey, like she's gone away because I'm sitting here and I'm not necessarily moving a lot. Like I can be typing or something, but that's not enough to trigger a motion sensor. And so I'm sitting here podcasting or doing something and then suddenly the lights turn off. Yeah. That, that's not a good feeling to suddenly be sitting in the dark. Uh, And that happened a few times. And then I realized a vibration sensor is a motion sensor. And so I stuck one to the underside of my office chair. Um, And it's a motion sensor. And of course, my office chair moves a little bit, you know, when I'm sitting here moving around just because I'm I'm getting comfy or as I'm talking to you, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, tapping my feet or, you know, wriggling my ankle or something. And that means that there's just enough motion to trigger that as motion. Yeah, I had, I had the same thing when, back when I had a studio before the pandemic. <laughs> My, I had a motion sensor light in there because that was space that I controlled. And when I walked in the room, the lights turned on. And when I walked out, they turned off. But the uh, it, I had the same problem where I'd, I'd – because once I get into kind of work mode, I can go hours just in the same position. And uh, it would I, – I looked at it as a excuse to get up and take a bathroom break or go get a glass of water or something. When the lights start turning off on you, that means you've been working too long. 
<laughs> yes, yes, it can do. But sometimes you can't necessarily get up and get a glass of water while you're in the middle of a podcast. I mean, I could, but I, I should probably let you know first, right? Instead of just yeah. wandering off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I stuck one to my office chair and that was great. Um, and then I saw um, somebody on Reddit post their home automation setup in the HomeKit subreddit. And wow, there was a whole load of stuff in there. I was seriously impressed. And what I was really impressed by was this person has a mailbox and they put a vibration sensor on their mailbox so they know when they get mail. And I thought, well, I don't have a mailbox. I've got a letterbox where the postman puts things through into my place. Yeah. And I stuck a, a vibration sensor on that. So every time that moves, I, it sends me a notification via pushcut to say, you got mail. Um, nice. And it, it it works. It's really nice. I could have it run an automation that says get post or something like that. Um, but uh, I, I like the, the film title reference in there. And uh, and I, I'm fine with just a notification because I don't need it to constantly remind me, you know, at some point sooner or later I'll go into the hallway. I, I'll have to um, because the bathroom's at the end of it um, and see that there's post. But it, it's great to uh, to just get that notification so that, you know, you know, if there was a strange noise, oh, it's because the the post was delivered. Um, and that works really well. And that just sticks on there. Um, as a tip, if you're playing with something like a vibration sensor, which in my case, again, I got Aquara ones. Um, they're very small um, and very cheap. I stuck them all on with masking tape first. Um, and if you're considering sticking things anywhere, be this NFC tags or sensors of some kind, I would highly, highly, highly recommend using... Uh, masking tape first because these usually only come with one sticky thing all the acquire things come with two sets of sticky things which is great uh but still if you use one and then you realize that you position your door sensor wrong and that it doesn't always trigger or that you know you you've misaligned things that's too far apart or not close enough together to work uh then you'll have wasted a set of sticky things um they come off cleanly in my experience but it's it's nice to try the masking tape approach first yeah, and I'll uh, I use I have a white roll of gaff tape which does the yeah. same thing. Yeah, something like that. Just you know, a, a temporary solution for fixing things before permanently doing so is definitely my advice there. Yeah, I like the idea of a vibration sensor. I've never used one before. Um, my uh, my mailbox is far enough away from my house. I think it would probably never get a signal back. But um, boy, what a great idea! If you've got a close mailbox or attached in you know to your door. Just put a mm -hmm. sensor on it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It works really well for me. Um, and, you know, uh, the other thing that I've got uh, in my hallway and in my living room, and these are inside my house, to be clear. They're not outside of my house. Uh, the EU has some uh, fairly strict privacy laws, and I did not want to start recording people out, you know, who are just adjacent to my house who have legitimate reasons and business for being there. So I have a, a little security camera in my hallway and one in my living room. And they only stream when I'm at home, but uh, it allows me to just pop in and check and see, oh, yeah, you know, there's a pile of posts on the floor. Great. Okay, so I want to use a vibration sensor too, but I don't know where I can, given my situation, but I just had an idea. Uh, we've got this little leather strap that hangs off the back door with bells on it, you know, for the dog. So whenever yeah. she needs to go out and do her business, she just taps on the bell and the bell rings. But sometimes I'm in the other room and I don't hear the bell. You see where Ooh. I'm going with this? Yes, I'm seeing that there could be potential accidents and unhappy people in your life, including yourself, if somebody does not hear the bell. Yeah, so I'll just put a motion sensor on the strap. How They're pretty small, right? 
Yeah, they're very small. Um, if if people are familiar with the tiles that attach to your keys, like yeah. the the small older ones, what back when the batteries weren't replaceable, uh, it's around about that size. Um, they also have uh, temperature and humidity sensors, which are similar size, um, and uh, they're great. Um, I love them. So I'll just attach one to the strap. The dog yep. hits it. Yep. Then, but I, I guess I would have to do it through a. Um, I couldn't just do a notification. I probably would have to do it through a um, a server, right? Yeah. So in in the case of the Aquara things, if you, if you want to just try a vibration sensor, you are also going to have to buy the hub. Now, they have US and EU versions of the hub as well as a Chinese version. Um, uh, but I they don't yet have a UK version. So for people here in the UK, uh, like me, you are going to have to buy a foreign one and use an adapter. So I decided to get the Chinese one uh, and run it um, because uh, this way you get access to a few more devices, uh, which I thought for scientific research purposes, aka automators, um, I, I would do. Um, but there's an EU one as well. Uh, so you'd have to buy that too, David. And uh, that, you know, that adds a price um, to it. Um, but you can just convert any automation to a shortcut, um, and then yeah. have it do get contents of URL and talk to say pushover or, yeah. um, you know, any of those services Boxcar I think is still running. I personally just use pushcut for everything. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, and speaking of notifications from things, uh, I also from Aquara bought, buttons uh these are called mini switches these are larger than the temperature um and humidity and vibration sensors that you can get um but they're they're a reasonable size and i now have smart doorbells without video because uh you know as mentioned earlier i don't want to be filming people without their permission you know if they're on my property i figured that's fair game but technically in front of my front door um and my garden door is not necessarily my property um so i i i have smart doorbells now and these are from aquara uh they connect to the aquara hub and inside the aquara app you can have it do automation so when the button is pushed it will then uh make a ding dong sound very very original i'm aware and they also have a notification feature. Now, the slight problem with this is I've noticed the notification is a little bit slow. So I'll hear the ding dong and it'll take a good couple of seconds before I see the notification on my phone that a certain door has had the doorbell pressed. Um, so I currently have uh, one uh, of these buttons going ding dong and the other one making a knock, knock, knock sound. Uh, just to help me audibly identify the difference. Um, so sure. sometimes these notifications could be a little bit slow, um, but it works really well. And the other, I, I got a third button as well. That's on my bedside cabinet. It's stuck to the back of a Qi charger, actually. So I can press it once when I go to bed and run a good night scene, which turns off all the lights in the house and closes all the blinds and things like that and turns off the dehumidifier. Um, and uh, then I press it twice in the morning and it puts up blinds and turns on some lights and things like that. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Fastscripts. What's the point in automating the tedious tasks in your life if you don't have instant access to those automations at the tip of your fingers? Fastscripts is a supercharged script menu for your Mac that makes it easy to organize and run your scripts. By defining global or app-specific keyboard shortcuts, you can customize the behaviors of all your most used Mac apps. You can even use it to override default keyboard shortcuts in many apps. The best part is, Fastscripts is completely free to use with up to 10 keyboard shortcuts, so you can use it as a quick fix for your most urgent needs, 
And when you decide you want more than 10 shortcuts, unlock premium functionality with a one-time payment of $25. A tool like FastScripts is useful for more than just keyboard shortcuts though. I love the fact that I have this tiny little menu up in my menu bar. And yes, when I click on it, it comes with a whole bunch of already existing Apple scripts. That's the beauty of it. You don't need to have already written Apple scripts to use fast scripts. You can download them from the internet and try the built-in ones, like having a folder action to duplicate an image as a JPEG. That's already there. If you've used fast scripts, then you'll know why this is so great. And I'd highly recommend that you go ahead and check it out. Listeners to the Automators podcast can get 20% off for a limited time. So go to fastscripts.app slash auto now to access the exclusive automators discount coupon that's fastscripts.app slash auto for 20% off our thanks to fastscripts for their support of this show and relay fm all right now rose you've talked a couple times about um uh, uk laws prohibiting you from putting your cameras outside which i find kind of funny well because... i don't know if they necessarily prohibit you uh i mean we have more cameras in this country than most other places no that, uh, it's that more of a case point. of i don't want to be upsetting people uh by putting a camera somewhere where other people who are legitimately you know living here and you know parking their cars outside because that's where their assigned spaces are uh are being filmed and they aren't necessarily happy with it um now there's also i as far as i'm concerned i i don't have any worries about security i it was a case of i was podcasting a little while ago and i heard a noise in the hallway and i didn't know what it was but i was in the middle of a video podcast so i couldn't exactly get up and just go check it out um you know as i'm mad very quickly it would have been a bit odd if i just sort of walked out the room and checked what the noise was so uh that was also prime day (laughs) so (laughs) i bought a couple of cameras being slightly panicked and have those set up so i can just stream them and i use the home cam app so i can just open that up and see what's on both of my cameras at any time which is great yeah well I, I the thing i was the joke i was going to make is when i every time i've been in the uk i can't get over how there are cameras everywhere I, I, oh yeah i mean yeah but the uh, either way um so i that's one place where i've gone down the rabbit hole in the last year um anchor the company that makes the accessories and batteries i like has a line of security products that they sell under the name brand eufy e-u-f-y so I went ahead mm-hmm. and started buying some of these, and they're very reasonably priced in comparison to, like, a Logitech or some of the other people in the space. Where, yeah. you know, like a Logitech camera is close to two hundred dollars. A Eufy camera is, you know, you can get them sometimes on sale for like twenty or thirty. Uh, you know, yeah. you can get them. You know, sometimes I think the standard price on the non-rotating camera, indoor camera, is like forty dollars. Um, yeah. So I, I bought several of these. I bought some of their battery-powered ones, too, that I put on the outside of the house. And now I've got my house is like, uh, you can't really get near my house without getting taped. So there you go. I mean, backyard, front yard, doors. Uh, I've got some yeah. indoor as well. Uh, like you, they're only set to stream while anybody that is like authorized to be here is here. But um, when we leave, if I want, I can have them record. And, um, Mm -hmm. I have, I have maxed out my five camera limit from, uh, HomeKit, you know, how Apple has the secure camera. So I've used those and I think it's been working great for me. Uh, one thing I wanted to report in on this episode was, you know, how well does HomeKit secure video work really? And my answer is it works pretty good. I mean, it, it it does record 
the snippets of people coming and going on those cameras, it saves it to the Apple Cloud, which I believe is is more secure and doesn't cost anything extra if you're already paying for iCloud storage. Um, they yes. have added the ability to add safe and you know you know ignore zones in, in essence to your camera, like the one that points out from the front door. We have a flag hanging from our near our front door you know usually it has like the whatever the season is if it's christmas or or you know valentine's or whatever we have little flags we hang and those flags are terrible about triggering motion on these cameras and killing the battery so i was able to like block out that section and it works fine the one piece of this that apple's promised that i don't think they've delivered on is face detection which i really wanted to oh, work that's working for me oh really okay yeah that is working for me. Um, so I also have Eufy cameras. I got the pan and tilt. Uh, now you can only pan and tilt inside the Eufy app. Uh, you can't do that inside of the home app. But inside of the home app, I do indeed have face detection. Uh, and also I have a portrait of Audrey Hepburn in my hallway, which every so often there's a, a false uh, motion detection. And there's like, okay. oh, I found Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. So I had to use an activity view to uh, to block out that section because yeah. I don't need uh, random screenshots of Audrey Hepburn being sent to me. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's a though. lovely picture. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so I found that if I tap on the camera in the home app and then pop into the settings, I have face recognition. Now, I don't know if this is um, something that it depends on your camera firmware. I, I believe it would be relatively logical if it was, but it might not be. Um, but it then accesses my photo library. Um, and, uh, it gives me a button that says add names in photos. And if I tap on it, then I've got people here. I've got myself, I've got my parents. You're here, David. Apparently I've got quite a few pictures of you. And thanks to, uh, Relay FM's fifth anniversary, uh, which was last year now, um, then I have a lot of pictures of Relay FM hosts. So if anybody turns up at my house from Relay, I'll recognize you, uh, or at least my cameras will. So... Yes, so that's there, and that works. Um, at least it works for me. It, it it recognized me. Have you tried using that to trigger an automation? I have not tried using it to trigger an automation. I did not know that it was supposed to be able to trigger an automation, and uh, I'm not seeing an option anywhere for... I mean, uh, cameras work as motion set detectors as well, um, so they can detect motion in a room for you and trigger an automation based on that. But I'm not, I've never seen an automation based on a specific person being recognized. So unfortunately, the mailman showing up is not necessarily going to work for that. So as they explained it to us, we're supposed to get a notification if someone we know is at the door. And I cannot get that to work. My camera's on the wrong side of my door for that to work. Uh, so I've not been able to test that. Uh, I did uh, leave my phone on purpose at my parents' place the other day and came back to break into my own house um i to be clear i turned off the alarm system first um so i wasn't really breaking in i just wanted to see if the facial recognition worked and uh it did recognize me in the recording but uh i i don't know if that was i i'm running beta software on literally everything i can um so that might be a beta feature that works uh and isn't necessarily in production or something else um but i yeah, I have for unfortunately not seen any automations related to this either, uh, which is a real shame. Now, do you have a Eufy, which Eufy camera do you have? Is it a 2K camera or? A yeah, it's a 2K pan and tilt. Okay, so mine is not 2K. It's the one before that. And I'm wondering ah. if maybe that's the problem. 
Possibly. I don't know. Um, I, I know that mine are pretty new cameras um, and uh, they are frequently on sale. Um, so I believe it is uh, Black Friday as the show releases um, or week before Black Friday as the show releases. Uh, so people should check to see if there's a uh, uh, Black Friday deals or Cyber Monday deals for them because uh, Ufi stuff often goes on sale. And I've personally found the build quality to be, you know, very good. Um, and they are, you know, pretty cheap in the first place. So it, if you can get it on sale, it's even better if you're looking for something like that already, of course. Yeah. And just to add on with Ufi, I like that they're inexpensive, but they're also good quality. Um, uh, some of them store data right on device like i have a couple of the outdoor utility light eufy cameras now and these replace you know a lot of people have these lights that hang off the side of their house and they've usually got two lights pointing out of them they're kind of like uh, security lights and historically those are motion sensor lights people put them up around their house and motion triggers them but the eufy does that as well as having a camera in it that shoots Mm -hmm. video and that one stores the video right on the device, right inside the utility light. But you have access to it, obviously, through the app. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all have other ones, like the doorbell one, the wired doorbell Eufy camera that I have, um, stores to a Eufy, like, central unit, you know, that's inside the house with, that you put a memory stick in. So uh, you can um, you can store it either in your house or out, but you don't have to pay Eufy to store it for you. And since I I have more than five cameras, I've got Apple storing data from the five kind of essential cameras and the rest of them just going through kind of the Eufy storage system. And I find the Eufy app isn't terrible either. So like I can be working on my iMac and then have my iPad below it just with the Eufy app open. And it's like a full, you know, visual field of the entire house. What's going on if I want to see. Yeah. If you have cameras from multiple providers or you just are looking for something other than the provider's app, I'm personally using uh, HomeCam. I believe this is from Pierce Media. Uh, The developer's name is Aaron Pierce. Um, And uh, that will show you, it'll just tile the different cameras. So I can literally pop that open. Right now, I can see my my hall camera, my lounge camera. And if I tap on a camera as well, it'll do a full screen of that. And I also, at the bottom, have a little toggle where I have access to the different devices in that area that I could turn on and off. So, for example, in my hallway, I can turn on the overhead light uh, and I suddenly go from the night vision mode, which is kind of black and whitish, to a full color version, including Audrey Hepburn, who's got an orange umbrella. There you go. All right, let's talk about these blinds. You've been teasing me with your blinds now for months. Yes, and I I love my smart blinds. So IKEA makes smart blinds. There are a couple of other companies out there who also make smart blinds. Um, They vary at different price points. There's also a a company whose name I've briefly forgotten. I think it's Somfy, S-O-M-F-Y, who make adapters that fit onto blind chains, which are HomeKit compatible. Uh, I looked at the prices for those and decided that if I had to buy the blinds and those, I it was the same price pretty much just to get the IKEA blinds straight up. Um, now, I'm in a position of privilege. I live in Europe where IKEA smart blinds appear to be widely available. Uh, I just walked into the store, grabbed the three that I wanted and walked out. And that was it. Um, 
well, I paid as well, uh, to be clear. Um, yeah. But uh, I've, I've heard that people are having issues sourcing them in the US. Uh, if you need 10 or more, then apparently you can place an order with Ikea and they'll they'll sort that for you. But if you only need a couple, then it's a bit trickier. Um, but I've got the Ikea smart blinds. Uh, they don't have any chains on them. They have a little battery that you pop out and you charge with micro USB. It comes with a micro USB uh, charger. And the whole thing is set up so you don't actually need the IKEA Smart Hub to use the blind. It comes with a little button, which you can just stick wherever you like um, and use that. And it comes with a repeater as well. Now, I wanted to use mine with the Smart Hub. I want my blinds, except in my office, to automatically close at sunset. Here in my office, I don't want it to close at sunset unless I'm I'm not at home or if I'm not recording. Uh, So that gets a little bit tricky, which I do with the Home Plus app. Um, but uh, I had to pair it with the IKEA Smart Home app. Now, I have um, many comments on the IKEA Smart Home app, but to say it is not my favorite app in the world would be an understatement. Unfortunately, it's slightly buggy, and uh, adding particularly my kitchen blind took four days. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I had to reset things, I had to unpair things, I had to repair things, and eventually I discovered the trick. So the IKEA app says, wait, 30 seconds. Do not wait 30 seconds. Make sure your phone is set to not auto lock and just leave it open in the IKEA app. Go off and have a bubble bath and come back and you'll be good. Um, Because it took a very, very, very long time to find the blind. Pairing the button is relatively easy. Pairing the repeater, relatively easy. Once the repeater has paired then to the blind as part of the setup, you have to use a repeater as part of the setup. But they ship one with a blind, so you don't need an extra one. You can actually unplug it and just not plug it in if your if your place is small enough um and also that the outlets function as repeaters so it, it's it's a solid system but you have to pair the button to the hub pair the repeater to the button and then pair the button to the blind in that order and it, it just kept hanging on the blind step for me but eventually i just left it for a very 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 long time i went off i had dinner i watched a show and then came back and it said hey i found your kitchen blind it's in the home kit app and I said, thank you. Close the Ikea app and have not opened it since. <laughs> so so uh, now with those, are you able to just also pull them down without using an no, app? No, yeah. uh, I, I, I do, I'm not. But they do ship with buttons, which I have just stuck um, a, sort of on the window frame pretty much so that you can easily press the button to have them come down. Um, they, they're not the sort of blind that you could pull down. I think you would damage the mechanism if you did that. Yeah, my family would destroy those blinds in less than a month because they would just walk up and pull them down. Ah, that's a shame. I mean, I find they roll like really high up. So if they're rolled up, up, then, uh, you know, you're not going to necessarily, you're going to have to like reach right around into the back to pull that bar to get it. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, um, you know, I, I just have it run automatically. So uh, theoretically, nobody should ever need to touch the blind. Though I am looking at, uh, I found a, a blog post the other day, which was talking about Homebridge and automatically closing blinds based on the a degree of the sun and whether or not it's sunny outside, which is an interesting project for a future time. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll say one thing, though. IKEA is the first company that made them um, affordable because yes. I, I looked into them a couple of times and they're like ridiculously expensive, like hundreds of dollars for one blind, whereas IKEA's. I believe they're in like the $50 range to get one. Uh, no, I think they're more in the 100 plus range. Uh, depends oh, on the size yeah. of the blind that you need. Obviously, the wider the blind, uh, the more expensive it is. I got very, very lucky. Uh, two of my windows perfectly fit the IKEA blinds. Um, and 
technically you are not supposed to cut the IKEA blinds down. They do not support this. Of course, if you then cut it down and they say that you can't do that, then you can't return it if something goes wrong. But I did have to buy a slightly larger one for my bedroom and cut it down with uh, my dad's assistance. My dad was very helpful during the the entire redecorating process. And uh, we cut it down. We filed off the metal ends so that there weren't any sharp bits, you know, flying around that might poke somebody and give somebody a metal splinter. Uh, put everything together and it works great. I'm very happy with it. Um, but it, they're, they're not the cheapest, uh, especially compared to the fact that you can get a regular blind for a very cheap price. Yeah, I think I was thinking about, because I've bought IKEA blinds, but not with the, the robot in them. Yeah, but the, either way, the that's arm still is kind less of expensive than than any competitor that I've ever seen. Yeah, I I find, you know, if you do want smart blinds, that these are an a, a, the most affordable way to do it, which doesn't mean to say that it's cheap, um, but it does mean to say that I can lie in bed and press a button and have my blinds close or open um, and I don't need to think about it. And I can just integrate that into other things as well. So at sunset, my blinds just close and I don't need to worry about it. Um, and that for me is great. Now, do you also have the ability to have your, or I'm sure you have the ability to, I don't know if you're doing this. Can you have your blinds just open up in the morning as you wake up? Is, is that yes. something you're doing? Yeah. Nice. So if you use the the sleep uh, integration in shortcuts, um, and I'm just double checking exactly what this is, uh, when waking up, that's the name of the trigger. I actually have that run a couple of, of things. It, it updates some widgets on my phone. It turns cinema mode off and opens the Kara app. I could also have this run my good morning scene. Um, but I decided because I, I have a button next to my bed anyway, which allows me to do a couple of different things. Um, one press on it runs my bedtime scene. So it makes sure the electric blanket is off. Um, it turns the heater in my bedroom off. So I don't overheat at night. It turns some other heaters off. It makes sure all the lights in the house are off. Um, I decided a double press couldn't run my, my morning routine because that's right behind where I charge my phone. Uh, so, you know, if I pick up my phone, I can press that, but also if I, for some reason, ha- disable uh, or accidentally tap the thing because I'm checking a notification in the middle of the night because the server's gone offline. Um, then, um, uh, and I accidentally trigger the waking up thing, then I don't suddenly get bright lights and open blinds everywhere at 3 a.m., which could have happened the other day. Fortunately, it didn't. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Command Line Heroes, the epic true tales of people revolutionizing the technology landscape. Season 6 is out now. Use the link in the show notes to go check it out. Command Line Heroes is a podcast that tells the epic true tales of developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels who are revolutionizing the technology landscape. Season 6 of Command Line Heroes is available now, and this season tells the stories of black technologists who innovated and invented, despite systemic racism, unfair hiring practices, and unequal education opportunities. There's an episode all about Gladys West, whose mathematical models and data analysis paved the way for GPS. Another episode tells the story of Jerry Lawson, who invented the first cartridge-based video games, paving the way for the Atari, Nintendo, and Sega. Another episode tells the story of Mark Dean, who grew up in the Jim Crow South and grew up to revolutionize the PC industry with the ISA bus. I got a sneak preview of season six of Command Line Heroes, and I really enjoyed it. There was so much I learned that I just didn't know, and I'm a nerd. One of my favorite episodes was about Dr. Gladys West. Aristotle tried to figure out the exact dimensions of the Earth, but it was Dr. Gladys West who did it. 
In this episode, we hear from multiple people explaining the obstacles in her path and the challenges she faced in her early career and how she overcame them all. I feel like as geeks, we don't spend enough time learning geek history. And this Command Line Heroes podcast really delivers the goods. And I really like this focus they have with season six. It's amazing. I'm working through them all. And I'm not just doing that because they're sponsoring the show. I'm really enjoying it. Go check out Command Line Heroes. So go ahead and search for Command Line Heroes anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we'll include a link in the show notes so they know you heard about it here on The Automators. Our thanks to Command Line Heroes for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Rose, I want to get to the nerdy level of your home automation. <laughs> I think we're already there, but there, there's more nerdery to come. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Like one of the things you've done is Homebridge. I used Homebridge like years ago and I got frustrated with it every time there was an update. I'd have to spend a half hour kind of getting it working again. And yeah. My solution ultimately was just gradually I bought only things that worked with HomeKit and I don't have HomeBridge anymore. But what's the state of HomeBridge now and and how's it working for you? HomeBridge now by default installs with a graphical user interface, which means that instead of having to just edit a JSON file and make sure that your brackets are all right and your spacing is all right and your commas are all correct, uh, you can uh, at least attempt to do everything through a pretty web user interface. So it opens up the web browser on your machine. Um, and then, you know, you'll do things through there. Now, not every single plugin has been updated to support this. So sometimes when you're looking at the config for a plugin, you'll be able to just click a thing and add a device and click a thing and add a device and click a thing and add a device. And other times you'll open up the config and it'll be like, please type your JSON in here. And you'll be there going, oh, that's not quite as friendly as I was hoping. Um, But what I'm using it for, um, aside from my Logitech Harmony, um, I am not using it to add devices that I physically have into HomeKit. I am using it to add fake devices to HomeKit and also some other things. So I do have on my Raspberry Pi, the same one that's running HomeBridge. I also have PyHole, which is a DNS that blocks ads. Um, so that's set up on my Eero, which is a HomeKit router, which we'll get to in a moment, possibly. Um but uh, so I, I've got that and I have a button for that in HomeKit. So I can actually turn off the ad blocking if a website's not working through my phone. Uh, and I can say, you know, turn PyHole off or turn PyHole on and it will do that, which is great. Um, and uh, the other thing that I'm using it for, the, the big plugin that I'm using is called Dummy Switches. And Dummy Switches are exactly what they sound like. They add fake switches into HomeKit. Uh, but I use these for statuses. So I, I actually, sorry, I lied earlier. I've not just used it to add my Logitech Harmony. I also used it to add my Eufy RoboVac uh, to HomeKit. But this involved setting up an Android simulator and a whole bunch of other things. So I'm not sure I can classify that as worth it. Um, but it now means when I leave the house, my RoboVacuum will run unless it's already run that day. And the way that I do unless it already ran today is through a dummy switch. So whenever my robot vacuum runs, it turns on a dummy switch that says vacuum ran. And then at 23.59 at night, it there's a, an automation that runs that turns that switch back to off. Um, and so then when I leave the house for the day or, you know, I go outside, um, then um, if there's nobody else here because my parents also added to this just in case, um, uh, then um, it will start my robot vacuum running. But I use the Home Plus app to say, uh, to add a condition, which is, and robot cleaned is off. 
Because otherwise, if I go out for the day and it cleans and then I come back and I go off to do another errand, then my robot vacuum will run again and I haven't necessarily emptied it, which means that it can then start sort of leaving fluff all over my carpet, uh, which is an interesting mess to get home to, uh, especially when you didn't really need it to run twice in one day. So yeah. I use it for my robot vacuum status. I also use it for a bedtime status. So when I get into bed and I run my goodnight shortcut by pressing the button on my bedside cabinet, it turns on a dummy switch called bedtime. And what this does primarily is it disables my motion sensors so that if I move in the night, it's not going to turn on the lights in my bedroom until I turn that off, at which point it will then automatically use motion sensors and the light levels to turn on my lights. Um, And that is great because there's nothing worse than saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just have motion sensors turn on my lights anytime between 7 a.m. and 10 p.m. And then one day you want to have a lion and you want to sleep past seven. But every time you move, you accidentally turn on the lights. Uh, That's that's not fun. That is a very fast way to get yourself in the doghouse if you are living with other people. And it's also a very fast way to put yourself in the doghouse when you're DIYing all of this stuff. Um, I got very frustrated was then lying awake in bed, well, you know, awake when I didn't want to be awake because I'd programmed myself into a corner and found dummy switches. And I use this for a couple of other things as well. I have a working uh, trigger, uh, or switch, sorry, which I trigger when I'm physically, you know, doing my day job or when I'm recording, like I'm recording with you right now. And that disables the turning off thing with the motion in my office. Um, So that this means that if it detects motion in another room, then it won't turn off the lights and the heating in here. Um, Because this way, if I do get up to grab a glass of water or something, I don't come up and find that my heater turned off and my my lights turned off um, when they didn't need to. Um, So there are quite a few things for those. And I'm also experimenting with using it for different people. But considering the whole pandemic situation, that's not necessary yet. Same with the guest switch. Um, I've seen that used by a lot of people um, who use Homebridge. They have a a dummy switch called guest. And this means that when they run run automations, if guest is false, then they'll turn off all the lights everywhere. But if guest is true, they won't turn off the lights in the area where the guest is because, you know, that would put them in the dark and possibly, you know, result in upset people. That's interesting because you're really using it to solve a software problem, not a hardware problem. Exactly. And that's why I think Homebridge, um, you know, can can really, you know, add to HomeKit. It's it's not just doing things like adding devices that don't support it, uh, don't support HomeKit in. It is genuinely adding, you know, support for things that you can't do in another way. I wonder if the Home Plus update will be able to solve any of those problems without having to run Homebridge. I'm not sure because this is actually adding, you know, like things into HomeKit, uh, which I'm pretty certain you need a piece of hardware to do. Now, in my case, I'm doing this on a Raspberry Pi. You could probably do this on a Pi Zero W, which you can get for £10 um, plus postage, probably. Um, But, um, you know, there's it's a very for me, easy way to do this. Um, and it allows you to do other things. There's also a plugin which I'm investigating called HTTP Switch. And I'm investigating this because of uh, SwitchBot. Now, SwitchBot is a little device. We I mentioned this on the show with Alex Cox recently. You stick it to something and it's got a little arm that comes out and it presses a button for you. 
Uh, and it also has a little thing that comes in, it uh, comes in the box, which is a plastic plate that you stick on it with a little piece of string that comes out and it, that can wrap into the arm. There's a little, very little slot cut into the arm. And I find this works great on my kitchen light for turning my kitchen light off. The arm is not strong enough to turn my kitchen light on unless I've recently toggled my kitchen light. Um, but I don't care about that. But what I do care about is the if this and that integration. Now, I've had some issues because it's supposed to also support shortcuts. I found that on different devices, that shortcut doesn't run um, and it's very annoying. So instead, I am using the HTTP switch to run an if this and that applet, which then triggers the SwitchBot through the SwitchBot hub. Now, this is a Rube Goldberg machine. It's held together with duct tape and prayers. I would not recommend this for anybody. I am just trying this and it's fun for me, but if my kitchen light didn't turn off, it would not be the end of the world. For some people, if they did not get their coffee in the morning, it they, they would be having a very, very bad day. So I would recommend experimenting with this uh, yourself um, and seeing what your level of tolerance is for things not working as expected. Uh, but I am trying that with the HTTP switch. Yeah, well, just listening to you. Yeah, do- it, it's, it works for me, but I, I would not recommend that anybody else dive into this unless they're prepared to spend potentially hours troubleshooting. Yeah, I was just listening to you describe it. I'm like, that's going to work like half the time. I mean, for me, it's turning my kitchen light off 100% of the time. But that's not necessarily something I can guarantee for other people because I have some other stuff running as well that's, you know, checking things and doing toggles and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. Um, and I would not necessarily recommend that people set up Homebridge and buy a SwitchBot and a SwitchBot Hub and all of these other things just to toggle a physical light switch. I I have heard, I have to say, in the US um, and Europe, you have considerably easier to press light switches and switches in general. Um, and I know from my personal experience that they are much easier to toggle than British ones. Over here, for some reason, we seem to need like an emergency hammer pretty much on some light switches to use them because they're just so stiff. Like you you really have to push the button hard to toggle it. And that's why my switch bot can't turn the light on. But I just wanted it so that when I turn off all the lights at night, the kitchen light can also be turned off as well. And when I leave, the kitchen light can also be turned off. And I have to say, a lot of the time, I, I am at the moment opening the SwitchBot app to turn the light off. And that works great. Um, but that's not really a home automation thing. Then it's just transferring the work from getting up and pressing the light switch to opening the app, waiting for it to load and pressing a button which then pulls out a little arm and goes dunk and turns off the light switch. Yeah, I mean, we had, when I was growing up, a, like an actual switch that took a fair amount of force to throw. Mm-hmm. But now just about everybody uses what they call rocker switches, which just, they they rock and they very, uh, doesn't take much force at all to turn them on. Yeah, yeah. Um, although, but so that's where my Lutron cassettes come in handy for me because they can do all that for me uh, with very yeah. reliable automation. Uh, Now, I want to talk a little bit because you've added a HomePod mini to your life. And how does that fit in your home automation? So I originally had an Echo Dot and a Symphonisk, IKEA Symphonisk, which is Sonos rebranded-ish speaker in my kitchen. Um, And this seemed to work pretty great. But I have found that airplaying to a mixture of different airplay devices can occasionally be a bit wonky. Um, Now, I have also recently upgraded my Wi-Fi to Eero, um, which I'm pleased to report is working much better for me than the TP-Link stuff I had before or the ISP router I had before that. Um, 
But uh, I decided um, with the announcement of the HomePod Mini that I would happily return my IKEA Symphony speaker because I'd only been using it for a few days at this point and I had all the box and everything. And IKEA let you return stuff for up to a year, uh, which is very generous of them. That's if you have their loyalty card. Um, so I returned the Symphonisk, ordered a HomePod Mini. It arrived today, so I've not played with it much, but it's in my kitchen. It's away from my cooker and water and heat sources generally. Um, and it's it's a very small, cute little ball. Um, and that is now going to be my kitchen speaker for music slash podcasts um, slash asking to convert amounts, um, which uh, in my test today seemed to do what I needed as uh, as required. Um, and also setting timers for cooking um, because that's great and adding things to my shopping list because I have a reminders list called shopping list and every time I open OmniFocus I have it pull in all the things from that with the open app action so I can add stuff to my shopping list on my HomePod mini and then it will just get slurped into OmniFocus at a later date. Yeah, I would also recommend using it to try and trigger some of your home automation stuff. I mean, I find that I use the home pods to turn lights on and turn the air conditioning on and all sorts of, of home um, automation related tasks. And that works just yes. fine for that. Yeah, I, I do that too. I have uh, full size home pods in my office and, and living room that I have had for a while. I got both of them sort of refurbished in Austria. They were returns in an electronics store, even though the home pod wasn't available in Austria. I'm guessing somebody bought them in Germany and returned them to the Austrian branch or something. Uh, so I got the, mine, fortunately, a bit cheaper. Um, and they're great for that. So I have, I've got another HomePod mini on the way from my bedroom. Um, it's just not arrived yet, which is sad. But it came with a regular USB-C charger uh, in the box, the 20-watt one, yeah, uh, which is very interesting. I did not realize. I thought it was a multi-plug on it, the same as the big ones, but I guess not. Well, I guess that allows it to be international easier, right? Yeah, I guess that's that's one way. And also, it's also much easier to wrangle the cable because you only have to thread a USB-C plug through uh, potentially very small gaps. So in, in my bedroom, um, I, I could take the shelves out of my my, ca- my cupboards to run the cable, uh, but I can also just thread the USB-C cable down there. I already checked that today before I installed it in the kitchen. Good. Um, how, how does it sound? I haven't talked to anybody yet that's actually listened to one. Is- I mean, I, I had it playing music in my kitchen for a half an hour before we recorded the show and I was in and out cleaning and tidying and some other things. Um, so I've not given extensive testing. To my ears, it sounds better than the Symphonisk I had there, but that might also be because it's got in a different place there um, and I was playing different music. So... For me, it sounds fine, but I am far from an audiophile. I'm just somebody who likes to listen to music. Well, Rose, it sounds like you've got yourself set up for home automation. <sighs> yes. I mean, I've got so many like nerdy things. So the dummy switches in, in Homebridge, I've got one with an eight-hour timer. So when I turn my lava lamp on, it starts my eight-hour timer one, and then the eight-hour timer will automatically turn my lava lamp off because I decided I need a lava lamp to make my life a little groovier. Um, and also it can't be on for more than eight hours because otherwise apparently they overheat and that's not good for them. So, uh, yeah, I, I've done a lot of things and it's great fun. And I mean, for me, you know, it, I, I love tinkering with this stuff and playing with this stuff. If you're not somebody who is prepared to invest a, a decent amount of time debugging, then automating your entire house in one go is not something I'd recommend. Maybe do a room at a time or a problem at a time. Um, but yeah, I've I've had a lot of fun and uh, I've already bought some extra smart plugs for Christmas. I went uh, in on the IKEA Trout Free 
things because I was getting the blinds anyway. Their their outlets are cheap. Um, their buttons are cheap as well. The buttons sadly don't appear in HomeKit, which is a real shame. Uh, neither do their motion sensors as a warning for people. Um, but the buttons, uh, sorry, the the outlets do, their light bulbs do. So I have colored lights on, on either side of my bed on the night tables there. Um, and I've got loads of outlets everywhere because it's a great way of just turning things on and off without fiddling around, plugging stuff in, getting up and moving, you know, all those normal people things. Yeah. Well, my home kit setup hasn't changed much. I mean, I've talked about a lot on Mac Power Users and, you know, we kind of covered yours today. Um, the big changes in my life have been the Eufy plug uh, or the Eufy camera system, which is, I'm very satisfied with it. And I hadn't been satisfied with my canaries in the past. And I just feel like the Eufy is is the right mix for me. It's not too expensive. It works with HomeKit Secure Video. And even for the stuff that doesn't work with HomeKit Secure Video, it's still making video for me and their app is is not terrible. I'm not going to say it's great, but it's not terrible. Uh, the other big problem I solved recently was I have a little uh, pond in the backyard that I installed years ago. And there's a fountain in it. And there's some other stuff I run in the backyard that requires plugs. But, you know, the outdoor stuff usually pulls more voltage than you want. And you want a waterproof plug. And I went through a whole series of those outdoor home kit plugs through Amazon. There were two or three different vendors that I bought from and none of them worked or they didn't work very long. You know, I'd try them and like after a week they'd stop working. And we had Micah Sargent on um, uh, Mac Power Users and he had recommended the iDevices outdoor plug. And I bought that and it was $10 more than anything I could find on. A, it was just a little bit more expensive than stuff on Amazon, but I bought it directly from my devices and it came and it like immediately solved the problem. So that's mm-hmm. the other big home kit issue for outdoor plugs. I would recommend the iDevices outdoor plug, but I I'm, I'm inspired by you, Rose. I'm going to be setting up my, uh, my dog pee uh, auto- automation. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. I'm I'm sure she'll appreciate that as as will everybody who would otherwise have to clean the floor in your house. Uh she doesn't get outside when she needs to. <laughs> and I'm also you've also got me thinking about motion sensors. Like there are areas of the house I could probably pull off a motion sensor where it would not make everybody really angry. So mm-hmm. um I'm actually thinking bathrooms would be a good spot for a yeah. small motion sensor. And I think people would appreciate that when you walk in, the light turns on. Um Yeah. Yes, I I was so I wanted to get Hyome um, occupancy sensors. That's H I O M E, and they make uh, occupancy sensors that you put above a door, and it will show up in HomeKit as a you know that somebody is in the room. Uh, it's it, it's done through motion, but then the motion is on until everybody's left the room, and it counts people in and counts people out. Now a large dog can trigger this because a large dog is approximately the same size as a small child height wise. Yeah. Um, but they are pricey. Um, and so I, I looked, I was very, very tempted, so unbelievably tempted to do it, but I just couldn't justify the price, especially with shipping to the UK. Um, and I, I wanted the battery ones as well because I don't have outlets conveniently located next to my door. Um, and so it, it would have been quite pricey to do that. Um, but that is a more reliable way of doing motion occupancy sensor than um, you know, using motion sensors if there's more than one person in your house or more than two people, and you need to negotiate, you know, things. So yeah, 
uh, that that might be a solution for some people. Um, I am hoping at some point they go on sale so I can buy them and test them. Um, but uh, right now, uh, I unfortunately do not have them. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Setup. There's an app for everything these days. Some are excellent and others not so much. A great way to discover new quality apps and get all the tools you need to be successful and productive is by using Setup, a subscription for Mac apps. Setup packs over 200 apps into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. And now you can take your projects to iPhones and iPads with support for iOS companion apps for your favorite Mac favorites, like Ulysses, To-Do, and Taskheat. Setup has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps, which means you don't have to spend time searching for great tools, and it's such great value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate app licenses, you just pay one flat monthly fee. New apps are added regularly and updates are free, and all of their apps are the full-featured pro versions. Head over to setup.com to try Setup free for a week, and if you like it, pay just $9.99 a month for as long as it's useful to you, and it will be. Once again, go to setup.com to see how it fits in your workflow. Our thanks to Setup for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. All right, so we've got a beta of iOS 14.3, and the Shortcuts team, not surprisingly, is still working hard. We've got some new shortcuts coming with iOS 14.3. I thought it'd be fun to talk through some of them. The first one is the long-in-absence change uh, home screen. Yes, uh, change home screen background. Yeah, change wallpaper. This came with iOS 13. We had it in beta 1. We loved it. I think we might have had it in in beta 1.0 or, you know, 0.1, whatever it was. And uh, people loved it. Then I believe somebody must have found a security issue with it because they took it away from us. And I was sad. Uh, But it's back. And we can change our wallpaper again. Um, And I'm looking forward to using the set wallpaper action. So you can set wallpaper for your lock screen and or home screen. Um, and you you can set it to an image. And I'm looking forward to doing this as I change uh, things throughout my day. So, for example, when I'm doing automators, I want an automators logo on my home screen. When I'm recording nested folders, I want the nested folders logo on my home screen. When I'm working, well, I don't necessarily want my work logo on my home screen, but I'd like something to remind me that I'm supposed to be doing my day job um, and similar. And so I'm looking forward to doing some things with that and maybe even changing the background wallpaper on my phone uh, throughout the week, you know, to different colors and things like that. Yeah, I had done a whole video on it when it was in beta. It was going to be part of the shortcuts field guide. And I it got very complicated. I, I was pulling tasks out of OmniFocus and calendar events, and I was basically creating like a daily status report wallpaper. And then it would just in the morning install that. Well, now with widgets, that's really, I don't think, necessary. The widgets do a better job of keeping you updated and get weather and your calendar events and OmniFocus and whatever else on your on your widget. So it's not as necessary, but I do like the idea, like you said, of kind of treating it like a context device, just like we're doing with our Apple Watch faces, where you have it automatically change the watch face based on what you're doing. Um, even just like using colors, like if for automators to me is red, you know, because we have yep. that nice red in our logo, whereas Mac power uses a green and, and uh, focus is blue. I can, I can just do things like that. And I think it's going to be nice and I'm glad it came back. I'd love to hear the story behind why it got delayed. I suspect it wasn't technical because they had it working just fine last year. Mm. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe someday we'll hear the story. 
maybe we will. We, I'm guessing we probably won't. Apple tends to keep a lid on these things pretty well, but it's back. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how people use this. So if you if you're using this or you plan on using it, please post in the forum thread for this episode and uh, let us know how because uh, I, I'm definitely going to be looking to to play with this. I'm thinking, David, I might do an advent calendar of uh, iPhone uh, lock screens and just okay. have it set a different one every single day for me. Nice, nice. That could be I fun. Could, or you could do the 12 days of Christmas and like you could have two trickle doves on the first day. Oh, <laughs> that would be day. fun. Yeah, that would be lovely. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the, and another change they're making, this one made me so happy when I saw it, is the ability to edit a calendar event. Now, listeners may say, of course they have that ability already, don't they? And I can tell you they do not. I have written so many automations that involve me uh, doing date math and creating a new event based on an old event and then deleting the old event. It's just nuts yes. that you couldn't just take an existing event and edit the start time or the end time or the location or whatever. Yeah. And you had to use something like Toolbox Pro. And by the way, I've seen the developer of Toolbox Pro posting like, they can go ahead and Sherlock me on this because, you know, that's great. That means that Shortcuts is updating. Um, so he yeah. had uh, edit calendar event because there's also edit reminder and edit contact now, David. So you can yeah. update you know, your reminders the same way. So instead of, you know, copying all the data out and, you know, changing that one thing that you needed to change and then deleting it, no, you can just go ahead and actually update your event, uh, which is so great. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, The the, uh, other update uh, was, so you got contacts, reminders, calendar events that you can now change. Yes. Um, What about... um, the uh, this app trigger change, yeah. So app triggers um, are um, uh, now this I believe is predominantly for people who are making an entire home screen with shortcuts. So um, those people who are putting like a button on their home screen, which has got a pretty mail icon to open the mail app. Um, now downside of this is you don't get a notification badge indicator. So if that's important to you, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but uh, basically, what happened before is say it was the mail app. You tap on it, it would open shortcuts and then open the mail app, uh, which as people who previously before iOS 13, I want to say, used this, will know it would open Safari and then open shortcuts and then open whatever app it was that you wanted it to open. So it was an improvement, but the stock apps no longer open shortcuts. They just go straight to whatever app that is. So that's mail, stocks, uh, the tips app, the home app, um, you know, um, Shortcuts itself, um, messages, phone, all those apps, the apps that come pre-installed on your phone, photos is another one. Those will no longer open shortcuts first if you tap on a home screen icon, which just runs a shortcut with the open app action. It will go to those apps. Now, third-party apps like, for example, Spark or Fantastical or Drafts or Carrot or OmniFocus will still open the shortcuts app. I do not know why... Apple have chosen to do this. I'm presuming potentially something to do with security, but that's a guess. Um, but uh, those those apps still open shortcuts first, unfortunately. But the, the stock apps don't, so that's cool. I have a feeling that this one jumped to the top of the line with this update because of the popularity of these widget apps and how people are building their own home screens. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it did. And also, I mean, there's a lot of people, that was their first experience or first 
exposure to shortcuts is, you know, just these launch app shortcuts that they're making to adjust their home screen. So I'm kind of glad it's bringing people in the door. Yeah, me too. It's great to see, you know, what changes are being made to things based on how people are using stuff, because I don't think anybody ever expected Widget Smith to go viral on TikTok. I, I genuinely didn't think I would ever say those words on a podcast, David, about a developer yeah. I know. It, their app went viral on TikTok, but it did. And so many of these great widget apps did. Um, and we did an entire show about widget apps, which proves that they're not just for teenagers. They're for, you know, serious automators as well. Um, but, you know, it's great to see that that's happening. And I think that's why the change wallpaper thing is, has, has come back as well now. You know, the both that and and the opening app trigger um, being pushed to the top of the list are related to all this customization because I've just realized I can have something change my wallpaper. At the moment, I use a plain black wallpaper and I use plain black background on my widgets so that it just sort of blends in and you can't see where the widget ends and the wallpaper begins, really, yeah. aside from the word at the bottom of widget pack in most cases. But I've just realized if I have a series of color wallpapers which match the color backgrounds available through widget pack, then I can have different colors at different times and I can also pull that color in in widget pack and use that as my background color. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. I I, I have so much automating to do, David. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. But you know, this whole thing still makes me so sad every time I look at my iPad with all those icons on oh, it. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Come on, yeah. man. Well, if they're making this a priority, I I I really hope that we get the iPad full widget treatment in iOS 14 or iPadOS 14. I, I feel like this could be a significant point update, just like they gave us mouse support as a point update last year. I would really like to see them do that with these widgets, but I guess we'll find out. All right. Well, I think that does it for today's show. Uh, thank you, Rose, for kind of bringing us in on your home automation. I know that was a lot, but I was just, I just wanted to hear what you were going to do because I knew you would take it to the next level and you did not let us down. I I mean, I have to say that for most people, I've probably gone way too far with my home automation setup. And that is the disadvantage of being a nerd who has a podcast about automation because you you just go all in on this stuff. Um, But at the same time, it's been a huge amount of fun for me. And it means that I can probably try pretty much anything I like home automation wise now, because I think I have one of every different kind of home automation gadget that's available in Europe. Possibly. I don't have a sleep detector yet. I think if I lived alone, I think I would bring it to an unhealthy level. So you, you're doing better than I would. <laughs> I, I think so. I think I've kept it at the point where things still generally work as expected, and, and stuff does like stuff magically happens in a good way. So I walk into the hallway and the light turns on there because there's a motion sensor, which means that it's light. But when like ten minutes later, it'll turn the light back off, um, which is great. And same with opening the doors and things like that. So. I'm going to add some more door sensors and so on. And uh, I've got an outside storage cupboard, which I'm going to add a temperature sensor uh, to to see, you know, like what the temperature and humidity levels are like out there in a door sensor. So I know when the door opens and closes. But uh, I think other than that, I'll be keeping things pretty, pretty stable. Yeah, no, it, it, and it's fun to add things as you figure them out. Um, I, I've been playing with strip lights and some other stuff lately. And I, I like the idea of mood lighting, which I'm also adding through home automation as the, the stuff is getting cheaper, more accessible. And whether you use the home kit app or the, or Apple's home app, I guess you'd call it, or home plus 
um, there's a lot you can do even without going the full Homebridge route. So yeah. if you're listening, if you're in an apartment, in your house, whatever, I hope that we've given you something you can use today. And of course, we're all looking forward to these 14.3 changes, which can't come soon enough for those of us not on the beta. I'm just running the beta on one device now. So I, I'm, my life is a lot easier. Yes. Yeah. That That's one of those things. If everything runs through one system centrally, it is so much easier, uh, which is why I, I want everything in HomeKit that I can manage. All right. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today, Command Line Heroes, Fast Scripts, Sync Up, uh, the OneDrive podcast, and Setup. Thank you, Setup, for joining as a sponsor of the Automators. We, we both appreciate that. We are the Automators. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Have a great day. Goodbye, everyone.